time, weather, and highways. Welcome to Road Trip Radio, the only program in Canada that is broadcast on FM, AM, and, well, kind of all of them. As always, this is the show for all you families and people who know of families who are out there celebrating our great country, which is now 150 years young. I'm Pat Kelly. And I'm Caitlin Howden. And on today's edition of Road Trip Radio, we will be focusing on the great province of Manitoba and discussing all things Manitobaian. Get to know Manitoba. Manitoba was the fifth province to join Confederation. It has the fifth largest population in the country and is home to Canada's fifth best band. You, guess who? Who? The capital city of Manitoba is Winnipeg, the former home of the Winnipeg Jets and current home of the Winnipeg Jets. No one can really confirm if Manitoba is part of the prairies or not. Ontario says it is. Saskatchewan says no. It's crazy cold in the winter. Again, it's crazy cold in the winter. And that's a little bit about a place we call Manitoba. Also on today's show, we learn how lakes get their names. We will overcome our fear of snakes by visiting a snake pit. We take a quiz with the quiz master. And as always, our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, is on the ground in Manitoba. We have no idea what he's going to get up to there today, but uh, we might as well check in with him. Uh, Peter, are you there? Yes, uh, Pat. Uh, What a pleasure to have the opportunity to wish you a Top of the day, good sir. Yes, indeed. Well, top of the day to you, too. Uh, So you're in Manitoba. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, What do you have planned there? Where are you? Thank you so much, Pat. Uh, It is nice to be here. I have been doing some light traipsing, a fair bit of roving. Uh, And where I found myself currently is in a spectacular town in Manitoba, and I have to be careful with the pronunciation on this. It's Boisevain. That's the correct pronunciation. Congratulations, Peter. Fantastic. Just another reason to pat myself on the back, uh, which I will do now. Okay. Now, what are you doing there in Boisevain? Right, of course, uh, Pat. Uh, I'm here for uh, the world's largest turtle race. <laughs> and I can tell you, you can feel it in the air. There's something a little different going on here. And, and it is that air of competition uh, matched with uh, the reptile of the turtle. Uh, that one feels when they're in Voice of Ain. So I'm, I'm prepping myself for that. Very excited as we speak. I'm standing underneath a 28-foot-tall Tommy the Turtle statue, and it certainly gets me in the mood to watch some turtle racing. All right. Well, we'll uh, let you get to that, um, and we'll check in with you later to hear how the turtle races go. But uh, best of luck to you there in Voice of Ain, Peter. Absolutely, Pat. And, and, of course, word to the wise, you may want to take your time in getting back to me. As everybody knows, a good turtle race, It can take hours before there's uh, even a lead. All right. Well, good luck, Peter. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. Take care. 24 hours a day. Road Trip Radio. Coming up later on Road Trip Radio, it's the Animal Call-In Show with Dr. Nancy Peppers. You're on the air with Dr. Nancy the official romance advice show of the Canadian wilderness with the wildest callers in the country. I mean, it just seems like every time I meet a nice girl and 
you know, things are going real well. Well, she just falls asleep in a cave for like six months. Okay, yeah, no, I know. But you're a bear, right? Yeah, yeah, Kodiak, yeah. Why? Dr. Nancy gives callers advice they desperately need to hear. Now you listen to me. You gotta drop this gal like a sack of garbage. (laughs) But I love garbage. Oh yeah, you're a raccoon, I forgot. She's got a master's in zoology and a PhD in love. Yeah, he's the, the thing with spawning. It's, it's very claustrophobic. Yeah, everyone's going in the same direction all the time. I feel like it's just a lot of you know, inherent competition, which is, you know, sort of goes against my, you know, raison etter, you know? I take it you're a salmon, am I right? More of a lox. The Dr. Nancy Pepper Show. It's a jungle out there, but a lot of it is tundra as well. Afternoons on Road Trip Radio. It's now time for the Manitoba Community Calendar, brought to you by these crazy kids. A warning, only one of these events is real. It's up to you to decide which one it is. In celebration of Canada 150, Canada's National Ukrainian Festival takes place on the August-long weekend. Here's three reasons why you should attend. Pierogies, pierogies, pierogies! The Manitoba Cloud Counting Festival is happening on Tuesday. Residents are encouraged to look up and count the clouds in the sky. If there are no clouds, the festival is cancelled. All summer long, it's the Flin Flon Ring-A-Ding-Dong Ping-Pong Tournament. Bring your offspring along. And that's the Road Trip Radio Community Calendar brought to you by these crazy community kids. And now, In Conversation. wondered how a lake gets its name? I know what you're thinking. They can't be born with them. And you're right. Because there's actually someone whose job it is to either find a name or come up with a name of lakes, rivers, and bays. And that person in Manitoba is Des Kappel. Hi, Des. Hi. So, Des, tell us a little bit about your job. I'm Manitoba's provincial toponymist, um, and that basically means I name geographical features, uh, things you see on maps, lakes, rivers, bays, islands. The names of geographical features are actually called toponyms. Des, how many lakes are there in Manitoba? There are approximately 100,000 lakes. 100,000 lakes. And how many of those lakes have names? So far, we've named about 10,000 of them. Really? I'm trying to do fast math. I think that's only 10%. Yes, that's correct. So how many how many lakes or rivers or bays or islands can you name in one year? It depends on the requests that come forward. Um, recently, I've been naming 7, 10, 15 features per year. Although this last year, I've actually named a little over 100 just because of the requests that have come in. So I could come up with some lake names if ever you need help. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't work quite like that. Um, usually the names that are brought forward are specific to an area or have a specific reason or history behind them. So we could come up with lots of names for things, but we, we just would not be able to make those official names. Um, there's typically a lot of research involved in, in moving forward to to make a name official, so that slows the process down a little bit sometimes. You can't just walk up to a lake and put a name on it? You can, but it wouldn't be an official name, so it wouldn't be recognized provincially and nationally. So it wouldn't it wouldn't really count. <laughs> that leads me to the question of how do you choose a name for a lake? Typically, places are named after somebody. Um, in Manitoba, we've named geographical features after 
Manitobans who lost their lives during a, a, an armed conflict, World War II, World War One, the Korean War. Um, other times, it local people coming forward with names that have been used for a geographical feature for years, perhaps decades, and wanting to make that name official so it's recognized. Do names ever exist before you get to name them? Yes, absolutely. I, I think there are likely quite a number of names or features in Manitoba that I just have not heard about and people aren't aware of my job and don't know where to tell someone. <laughs> yeah, so if you're out there right now listening to Road Trip Radio and you've got this lake with or a river with a name on it, but it's not official, you've got to find Des so he can help you, right? So if, if everyone's like, we live on this lake and we all call it Batman Lake, you then would have to go and help them name it Batman Lake. Absolutely, yes. Yes, that's part of my job. I'd love to hear from those people and work with them to um, potentially make that an official name that's recognized not just locally anymore, but across the country and around the world. So Des, what is the lake that has the most unique name to date? There have been quite a number of unique names. One that stands out is um, actually an Indigenous name. Um, It's Pequachnamekosquasque Pinwinick Lake. That's a very long name. It is. And the only reason I can marginally pronounce it is because I had the assistance of an elder from the Island Lake Tribal uh, Council. Do you know what it means? I do. The elder who gave me a, a rough concept of the pronunciation um, actually described it. It's a, it's a compound word. Pequatch means wild. Namekos means trout. Kwaskwe pin means angling with a fishing line and not a net. And Winnick means place. So it's a compound word that uh, means a place where people fish with a line for wild trout. I love that the name has a story. Yes. And so you know when to go to that lake is because you have fishing wild trout things to do. Absolutely. Yes, it, it, it tells the story of the culture and the heritage of the Indigenous people that live there. And, and they, they can speak about the lake and they know exactly why it has that name and where they can go to get some trout. Are there any lakes called come hang out with your family and go on a uh, banana boat ride? <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we, we have had some proposals like that for unique names, but they don't, uh, they don't meet the standards that we have for naming across the country. So <laughs> next, you know, does next time I look at a lake, I'm going to, or, or, or a river or an Island or a Bay, I'm going to think about the name and, uh, it's gonna it's gonna give me pause. Yeah, and that there may be a long story behind that, and that may be where someone's life was saved, or early pioneers and managed to fish there, or indigenous people had specific ceremonies or, or cultural practices or, or habitation there that was of real value. So I always like to share that. There's so much more to this job as I found out than just. Did you name something? <laughs> well, thank you so much for telling me about how lakes and other geographical features get their names. It's very interesting. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. We are back with more Road Trip Radio. I'm Pat Kelly, and I'm here with Caitlin Howden. And today we're looking at all things Manitoba. Time to check in with the Manitoba summertime mosquito forecast. The forecast for today is awful, going down to a low tomorrow of a bite or two, before going back up to better stay inside until this misery is over on the weekend. And that's all for the Manitoba summertime mosquito forecast. Well, thanks very much, Caitlin. Now it's time to check in with our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, who's up in Boise, Manitoba, attending a turtle race. 
Uh, and we'll see how that's going for him. Uh, Peter, are you there? It's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, I'm not, and, I'm, and that's me being nice. You know what I'm saying? Peter, are yes, you... Hello, Pat. Hi, Pete. Uh, Hi. Is everything okay? I'm saying it's ridiculous. You're, you're advertising one thing and then it's not happening. So I, I, I don't know if you're the mayor or if I can speak to the mayor or if there is a mayor. <sighs> yeah, there, are, sorry, are you okay? A, I'm fine. I was just speaking to somebody in a Tim Hortons drive-thru. Um, yeah, I've just been informed uh, about an hour ago. Uh, there's no turtle racing going on. None. Oh my goodness! So you got the dates wrong. Are you are you there at the wrong time of the no, year? No, no, it's no. It's, I, it, it has nothing to do with the dates. Uh, I mean, there, it, it's simply not happening. I mean, you could come here any time of year. There's not going to be a turtle race unless you bring the turtles and, of course, the finish line yourself. Well, it begs the question then: Why the statue? Yeah. That exactly, Pat. Why the statue? So now you're in Boisevain and and with nothing to do. Uh, I'm so worked up, I don't even want something else to do. I mean, I'm not even a pleasure to be around. Why the statue? Pete, why? Why don't you just let yourself uh, <sighs> cool off a little bit and, and maybe... Get a buzz saw, plug it in and take that thing down. All right, well, you take care, Peter, and we'll check in with you later. Hopefully yeah. you get up to something yeah. fun. yeah. For much longer than Canada's mere 150 years, tens of thousands of snakes have congregated at a spot in Manitoba's Interlake area. Every year in the spring, these red-sided garter snakes emerge from their underground homes at a place just a little over an hour by car north of Winnipeg, known as the Narciss Snake Dens. We assigned Christopher Reed to get the story on these squirmy wonders of the world, not realizing that he is afraid of snakes. Okay, let's diagnose this. Fear of snakes. Here it is. Ophidiophobia. Abnormal fear of snakes. That's what I have. Okay, but I've got to get this report done. Maybe it would help to speak with someone who has been there. I'm Ardith Boxall, and I work in the theatre. Um, I'm an actor and a director and help people uh, create new plays. When I was about eight years old, uh, it was the mid-70s, I was in grade three, and we went on a, a field trip to Narcisse. Got up early in the morning, traveled up north to get to the dens, and as we were approaching, somebody noticed through the front window of the school bus that there were snakes on the road. The snakes were making their way from one side of the road to the other, and there were some girls that started yelling at the bus driver to stop. Um, you're killing the snakes, you're driving over the snakes. And the, the boys got excited, and uh, basically the whole school bus, the first introduction to Narcisse for them was this snake massacre. It was terrifying. Ardith's reminiscence has not quelled my ophidiophobia. I'm going to need to visit my therapist. My name is Justin-Claude Dumont. I work as a clinical counselor. So I'm afraid of snakes. What is it about snakes that makes them so frightening? There's something in us, this, the, this kind of like cellular like memory that uh, reminds us that snake could like potentially kill us. There's a theory in the neuropsychology about the brain being made of layers, if you will. There are three like main layers. There's the reptilian brain, the uh, mammalian brain, and there's the... Uh, Human brain. The, the decryptian brain uh, has to do with the, our, our, our like primary instincts, fight and flight. I wonder if then 
is it my reptilian brain, ironically, that's making me afraid of snakes? It's, it's a really good question, and, and I believe I, I would agree with that. Fear is, is seated in the reptilian brain. So I've been assigned to go to the Narcisse snake dens. Given my fear, how should I approach this visit? Perhaps like I would I would take like one of those snakes in, in your hand and maybe even like uh, like play like with them. So you want me to play with a snake? <laughs> if you can do that, it, it, it could be great because like uh, like my understanding of snakes and Narcisse is that they are like harmless. Uh, so uh, like since like there's no danger per se, like there's like there's like little risk. So like it's not as though like, like you're playing with a uh, like a more like, dangerous uh, snake. No risk. There is no risk. You can do this. You can do this. Okay, long story short, I make the trip and meet the Manitoba government's point person on the Narciss Snake Dens. My name's Pauline Bloom. I'm the Regional Wildlife Manager for Sustainable Development in the central region here. This is a limestone area and the limestone is very close to the surface and through geological history and melting and freezing of water cracks form in the limestone and underwater caves form and that's where the snakes go in the winter time so they have to get below the frost line so they have to get a few meters below the surface of the ground so that they won't freeze in the winter and then they congregate into little caves, crevices, nooks and crannies under the rocks, in the rocks, and overwinter there. How unique is this place? It's the only place in the world where you can see garter snakes in these concentrations. Pauline and I head over to one of the snake dens. A crowd is gathered around a chain-link fence, peering down into a depressed area, kind of a shallow, rocky sinkhole, covered with an undulating carpet of snakes. We're looking down at a bunch of snakes here. What what are they what's happening? Anywhere where you see a big sort of pile of snakes. So there's sort of just snakes milling around and then every once in a while there's just like a big mass of snakes all riding together. And that's what's called a mating ball. So in the middle of that mass is a is a female and then all piled on top of, top of her are a bunch of male snakes trying to breed with her. See that one right there? There's like a little small little knot of snakes and they're not moving at all. And I feel like that one there is the one where the female's like, okay, I guess. (laughs) Let's do this. You've got, how many snakes do you have there? Six. How do you feel about snakes? Excited, because I get to hold them. No! What happened there? I dropped one. He's okay, though, I think. What is it about holding the snakes that you enjoy? It's that they slither through your hands. Do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 13. What do you think about this place? I think it's really cool because they just like crawl around and you can hold them and some of them are very lovable. The other ones just kind of want to get away. But when I was two years old, I held a 12-foot snake. A 12-foot snake? Yeah, this is nothing compared to that. Yeah, it was a ball python. And and you said that you were handling the snake. Are you sure the snake wasn't handling you? (laughs) I'm not too sure. I was pretty small, so, and it was like huge compared to me, so... So what's going on right now? He's uh, crawling around my neck, kind of in my jacket. <laughs> and you're okay with that? I am, yeah. I do not mind it at all. In the beard. A snake in your beard. <laughs> is he, like, in it? Yeah, yeah, he's in it. He is in your beard. He's pulling on my hair. <laughs> As I watch this man with a snake playing in his beard, I feel a change begin to happen inside of me. Although I don't want one on my face, I too 
want to play with a snake and feel its undulating presence. My time has come. I think I just broke a sweat. (laughs) It's okay, don't worry. (laughs) That looks like a male. You can tell because it's thin and um, a little bit shorter than some of the other snakes we've seen. Oh my goodness, you got him. I'm just going to touch him gently. Oh yes. If you just rest your hand underneath him, you can sort of feel how he feels, like the way his muscles move as he tries to squirm around. He's definitely alive. And I am going to try gently grabbing the snake now. (gasps) Okay. And do I have to worry about him biting me much? No. No, he won't bite. Um, The only reason they'll bite is if they feel threatened or um, vulnerable. Got him in my hands right now. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, here, here, I can see his little tongue. So that's it. I've done it. I've overcome my fear and connected with a being that has a reptilian brain, the same one I have. I've taken a trip, not just to Narciss, but a trip inside my ancient reptile self to switch off that primal fear, allowing me to visit and enjoy one of the most incredible places in Canada. For creepy photos and videos of these snakes, check out Road Trip Radio on Instagram and Facebook. It's now time for a Road Trip Radio Language Minute, where we explore the words and phrases you might come across while talking your way through the country. In Manitoba and all over the prairies, Métis people speak a combination of French and Cree. If you're driving through the prairies, you might want to learn a few phrases just in case somebody invites you for dinner. Hello, Tanche. Bonjour. Norman Florine de Schnechkarschwan. I'm a chief. I'm a chief. Big Schwan. My name is Norman Fleury, I'm a Michif, and I speak Michif, and I'm a Michif person. And this language I learned at home from my grandparents and my mother. It's a contact language which the nouns are in French and the verbs are in Cree. It's the most unique language in the world. And if you're ever around my area, Kishpin, Kupekiu Kanawal, Pekiukek, Pichtigwek, Apik, Meat show. Come in, sit down, eat, because I always have something cooking. I always have la galette, bannock. I always have chicken soup, duck soup, or whatever I can make soup with. And we'll sit down, have a feast, and we'll also have a drink of tea. Merci. Thank you. We will visit again. That was another Road Trip Radio Language Minute. Road Trip Radio! Manitoba! Road Trip Radio was made possible with the support of our sponsors. Ham Boys Ham Sandwiches, Witch Girls Wakeboards, and Bob's Underwear and Skate Sharpening. 
In hockey, skating is everything, and poor skate sharpening will hurt your game. Similarly, if you're looking to feel your most attractive, you need to be wearing the right undergarments. Oh boy, I'll say, and I know from experience. That's Kathy, my wife. Hi, everybody. And I'm Bob, the owner of Bob's Lingerie and Skate Sharpening, where we understand how to make your edges stay sharper longer and give you better control on the ice. But... If I'm being humble, I'm also a genius when it comes to creating gorgeous custom bras and corsets that will make you feel like a million bucks. That's my Bob. I know that skaters should be in control of their skates, not the other way around. But I also know how to design the perfect long line bra that works under any sheer top or light sweater. I'm wearing one right now. Right now, listeners can get half price off of any skate sharpening with the purchase of a frilly bloomer. Simply use this promo code at the checkout. Kath, what's that code? Bob's Big Undie Deal. Just make sure you buy the right type of garter because I do sell both. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim Farker, and this is Quizmaster. Quizmaster, celebrating Canada's sesquicentennial birthday, one quiz at a time. This week highlighting Manitoba. Founded by Louis Riel, Manitoba is a province that... Uh, just in case you're picking up what sounds like an industrial grinder or possibly a fairly large animal in distress. Not to worry, uh, don't call the wildlife officer just yet. What you're actually hearing is a group of local high school students ah, uh, rehearsing here in our building. Speaking of music, Manitoba has a very rich history of producing some of Canada's and the world's finest musicians. Which brings me to quiz number one, called They Just Don't Make Them Like They Used To. When people mention the Godfather of Soul, more often than not, they're referring to the late, great James Brown. But did you know there's also a Godfather of Grunge? And this Godfather is the product of the 1960s music scene in Winnipeg. Who is the Godfather of Grunge? Is it Randy Bachman? Neil Young? Burton Cummings? Or Al Simmons? He's the godfather of grunge, but more importantly, he is, in my humble opinion, along with Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, and Rush, one of the most influential Canadian musicians of all time. He is Neil Young. Pay close attention to this next bit of buried treasure from the golden age of radio. Within it is one of the answers to our next quiz. The story of Flintabity Flonatin piloting a submarine through a bottomless lake where he passes into a strange underground world through a hole lined with gold. What Manitoba town's name is taken from the lead character in that science fiction novel? And what is the name of that novel? 
The town of Flin Flon, Manitoba is named after the lead character Flinity Flonity from the novel The Sunless City. Oh! So the control room door uh, just fell off. Did I mention that we're in a building that was built in 1879 and is in desperate need of some upgrades? It I think that's it for me. Uh, I'm Tim Parker, and I look forward to being with you again next time on Quizmaster. Hey, guys. Can we turn it down? Hello? Guys? Hello? You're listening to Road Trip Radio. What you are about to hear is true. These events occurred a few years ago in the Canadian wilderness. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Last time on the Spaghetti Bandit. Two RCMP officers and a First Nations watchman tried to catch the man who had been illegally tampering with Aboriginal remains. He got away, and he was now a wanted man. I'm Grant Lawrence, and this is the story of the Spaghetti Bandit. Chapter 4, The Yellow Kayak After the intruder left the burial cave, he wasn't seen again for the rest of the summer or the fall. Though they searched high and low, it was a huge wilderness area, and it was assumed that the spaghetti bandit had simply fled. But he hadn't gone anywhere. On a clear, calm day in the following winter, a construction crew showed up at a waterfront cabin in Gideon Bay, several kilometers down the shoreline from the burial caves and several kilometers away from Rory's cabin. When the workmen entered the front door of this cabin, they were startled to hear the sounds of someone scrambling out the back door. Looking around, they realized that the closed-down cabin was being lived in. Dirty dishes were on the kitchen counter, and much like Rory's cabin, empty spaghetti cans were stacked outside the back door. They searched the cabin, and at the very back of the building, in a walk-in closet, they found a human burrow of sorts. The closet had a musky odor. A crumpled blue sleeping bag was laid out on the floor of the closet, with a few dog-eared books surrounding a dirty pillow. Beside the pillow, the stub of a candle. It became clear to the workmen that the intruder had chosen the closet because no light would escape through the windows when he was reading at night. The intruder took off into the woods behind the cabin without even his backpack, which upon inspection was filled with survival equipment, maps and waterproof containers and soggy outdoor clothing, but no ID of any kind. The workers spent an uneasy day on the renovation because they knew he couldn't be far and probably wanted his stuff back. He was likely watching their every move. Was he armed? Was he crazy? At the end of their workday, they locked up the cabin and then discussed what to do with the backpack. They agreed to report the incident to police, but at the same time, they felt compelled to leave his backpack out for him. Maybe he was lost and hungry. They placed the backpack on the edge of the deck. 
When they returned the next morning with the RCMP, the backpack was gone, and so was he. This time, the spaghetti bandit made his getaway by stealing a yellow kayak. The only thing was, no one would realize that that yellow kayak was missing until months later. For the next installment of the Spaghetti Bandit, head to the Nova Scotia episode. To start the story from the beginning, jump back to BC. Well, that's about all the time we have for Manitoba. Pat and I are about to dig into a beautiful plate of homemade pierogies that clearly someone's baba sent to the studio. Yes, big shout out to all the babas. But before we go, let's check in with Peter Oldring, who's up in Boisevain, Manitoba. And unfortunately, he was up there stuck without a turtle race. So let's see how he's doing. Uh, Peter, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am. I've passed. My spirits have certainly taken a turn for the better. I am under sunnier skies and very excited for what I am about to do. Well, that's great, Peter. You do sound a little happier. What are you about to do? Well, uh, I, you know, who needs turtles uh, when you can participate in a smash-up derby? <laughs> that's right. You heard right. I'm actually at the ninth annual Derby's Demo Derby here in Boisevain, and I am not watching... I'm a participant, Pat. It's amazing. Peter, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Well, of course it doesn't sound like it's a good idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's because I got my hands on a 1979 Volkswagen Rabbit, and I can promise you this. This rabbit wants to hop, and I'm going to let it hop right into the next heat because that's when I'm competing. Well, just make sure safety first, yeah? Absolutely, Pat. Safety first, uh, of course. Uh, wasn't able to find a helmet, but the good news is I did scrounge around and find a couple of elbow pads. And as any medical professional will tell you, it really is the elbows that's most important to protect. Well, good luck to you, Peter. And uh, just keep in mind that we need you for other episodes of Road Trip Radio. So please uh, be safe. Absolutely. All the more incentive to get our done here at the Derby. Get our done? Yes. Okay, you take care, Peter. Will do. Now I'm going over here. Okay. This is what I'm driving. What do you mean? Uh, naysayers. Thanks for listening, everyone. We leave you today with the sounds of the northern lights as they dance over the town of Churchill. See you all next time on Road Trip Radio. Bye-bye. Road Trip Radio has been made possible by the Government of Canada and is produced by Kelly and Kelly Creative and Sumo Audio. Research by Matt Masters, Janice Tufford, and Leslie Johnson. With contributions by Dave Shumka, Brian Short, Paul Tedeschini, Grant Lawrence, Jen Bohm, Naomi Sneekis, Matt Barham, Mike Balazzo, Sandy Jobin Bevins, and the Road Trip Radio kids from Arts Umbrella in Vancouver. 
Keep listening to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day. 